This episode of Pop Health Week is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. We create thought leadership content that supports your value proposition for omni-channel distribution and engagement. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer-co-host of Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is my partner, co-founder, and principal co-host, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, our guests are Weill Cornell Medicine faculty, Dr. Louis Aroni and Dr. Catherine Saunders, co-founders of IntelliHealth, a company fighting the global obesity epidemic. They also host the podcast, Weight Matters. Louis J. Aroni, MD, a fellow in the American College of Physicians, is the director of the Comprehensive Weight Control Center at Wild Cornell Medicine and the past chairman of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. Catherine H. Saunders, MD, diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine, is assistant professor of clinical medicine at Wild Cornell and an assistant attending physician at New York Presbyterian Hospital. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Dr. Zeroni and Saunders, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you, Fred. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us, Fred. We're excited to be here. Oh, really? It's our pleasure. It's a, it's a great topic, obviously, population health. And maybe why don't we start just a little bit of quick background, uh, maybe start with Dr. Zeroni and then Dr. Saunders, your background and sort of what you're doing now. Uh, so, Fred, I'm the Sanford Weill Professor of Metabolic Research here at Weill Cornell uh, medical College in New York City. I run the Comprehensive Weight Control Center, which is a multidisciplinary uh, treatment center for uh, people with obesity. I've been doing this since 1986 when I first came to Wild Cornell, got interested in obesity, and uh, my entire career has increasingly been devoted to figuring out why it's hard for people to lose weight and how to treat it with uh, certain dietary interventions, medications, procedures, and some of the other more advanced strategies that we now have. Fantastic. And you, Dr. Saunders? Yes. So I also um, have been at Weill Cornell for a while for medical school residency. I was fortunate to um, learn about Dr. Roney early in my medical career. So right around the time that I was developing a patient panel um, in internal medicine and primary care, um, I found out about all of the work Dr. Roney was doing and was increasingly getting frustrated that um, most of my patients were struggling with um, weight-related health complications. And I had, you know, minimal education from my medical training on how to, uh, how to even understand weight, how to even talk about weight. So um, I was fortunate to, to um, do a fellowship. We actually started a fellowship program. Um, I was the first fellow in obesity medicine at Weill Cornell um, and then joined the, the faculty practice where I still um, see patients. And um, something that we talked about, Fred, which we can get into later on, um, is one of our big areas of expertise is, you know, besides seeing patients with obesity, helping them lose weight to, you know, improve or resolve their weight-related medical problems. But one of the big things we see is, is often um, one, weight regain after bariatric surgery, um, and two, um, weight gain from prescription and over-the-counter medications. So we see people who have had weight gain for many, many, many different reasons. And um, the approach that Dr. Roney developed that we all practice 
is really a comprehensive, um, compassionate approach to this very heterogeneous disease of obesity. Yeah, thanks, Kat. And I know Dr. Aroni and Dr. Sanders, when I think about this, I think about all these approaches that we see out there that are on television, you know, or, or being, whether it's a weight loss program from XYZ or another ABC company or some approach, but it's really not been looked at, I guess, other than sort of what you're doing, maybe others are being developed from a medical perspective. I assume there have been some big advances made, or at least some advances in that area that allow for the approach you're using to work. Yes. Uh, so one of the key things is that we've now begun to understand the weight regulating mechanisms of the body. And uh, what, what that has shown us is that weight is regulated by a complex series of uh, neuronal-based systems and uh, hormonally-based systems. And there are eight, 10 hormones that are telling your brain how much you've eaten and how much fat is stored and other inputs as well. And what it looks like happens over time is that by eating fattening food, your body develops resistance to some of these hormones so that your brain can't tell how much fat is stored or how much you've eaten. And the default is set for, for survival purposes. The default is set at a higher weight and eating more food. And as a result, over time, your weight gets ratcheted higher and higher and higher. And so basically, one of the key findings that has guided the kind of treatment that we offer is the recognition that the environment, meaning eating too much high calorie, high fat, high sugar food leads to something physical in your brain that makes it really hard to lose weight. That, that is really one of the keys. So it's, there's something physical going on that is why people can't lose weight. It's not that they don't want to. It's that something is pushing back that makes it very hard for them to comply with even the best dietary recommendations. As I was telling um, Greg earlier, one of my cousins worked with pillow rats back in the day as a head of endocrinology and was looking into this whole obesity issue, you know, these genetically modified rats that were obese. So what you're saying, I guess, and Dr. Sanjay, comment is that then leads to being able to discover various interventions for those hormone irregulation, et cetera. And so we're looking more at some medical approaches along with the behavioral and biologic and the other approaches. Yes, exactly. So, you know, the cornerstone of what we do is still absolutely, you know, lifestyle intervention. So dietary strategies, uh, physical activity and behavioral techniques. Um, but for the majority of people who need to lose a clinically significant amount of weight, that's just not going to cut it, unfortunately. And so now that we have a better understanding of, you know, the pathophysiology and exactly, you know, which hormones are involved, you know, what areas of the brain they, um, they signal to, um, we can now actually have much more targeted treatment. Um, and so we have, you know, a, a not a huge, but we have a, a sizable enough armamentarium of medications that are really, um, targeted to 
help in a variety of different ways. And so our expertise is really figuring out, you know, which medication is most appropriate for which patient. And, you know, just like any other health condition where, um, you know, if you have high blood pressure and one medication is not working, sometimes two or three are required, you know, with combinations of medications. Um, so that's really been um, what Dr. Aroni has developed over the course of his career and, and the way we practice figuring out the right medication, the right combinations of medications and, you know, doing that in a very, very, very customized way. Mm-hmm. So I think of the average person out there and, I, and how many um, physicians are there who are practicing and specializing in obesity like uh, the two of you are doing? There, there aren't that many. Uh, over the past 10 years, um, there's been a dramatic increase. Uh, we started a, a board, the American Board of Obesity Medicine, in 2011. And as a result, uh, physicians are now able to uh, take an exam and become certified. Um, that doesn't mean they're experts, but it means they have a minimal lo- level of comp that's been demonstrated by passing the exam. And if you look at the number of people who are getting interested in this and taking the exam, it's increased dramatically. In fact, last year, over a thousand physicians passed the exam. The total number right now is around 5,000. But when you think about the prevalence of obesity in the population, it's so high that 5,000 physicians is not nearly enough. This is really a population health problem and a primary care problem. Those are the kinds of solutions that that we need to begin to make a dent in this. Absolutely. That's what I was getting at was, even with 5,000 physicians, given this, the huge issue we face in the United States and beginning to be, you know, obviously around the world, that kind of expertise, and then how do you disseminate that information out to the rest of the primary care physicians? And are you seeing more of that happening? And then I guess we can use that to le- begin to lead into um, in telehealth and the rest of it. But are you beginning to see primary care physicians looking at, at either upgrading their training or they have access to individuals like you to help with the obesity management problem? It's yes and no. I think in some academic institutions where they have, you know, a, a, a weight center, um, we see more of that. At, at our institutions, we have primary care physicians asking us all the time because they, they we share patients with them and they see that they do well and they, they want to use the medications we're using, but they're not trained. So um, there's much more interest in, in using some of the, the newer, highly, highly effective medications. Um, so different areas of the country, I would say, have started to adopt this more than others. Um, but that's exactly kind of the crux of the problem, this, this massive, massive supply demand mismatch. So if you think about the fact that 20, or sorry, 74% of the country has overweight or obesity, and what Dr. Ernie said, there are fewer than 6,000 um, obesity medicine certified physicians in the country. Um, clearly, you know, technology has to be part of the solution because there just aren't enough healthcare providers um, to, to do what we need to do. Um, so that's, that's what we're we're doing with with our company in telehealth. Our our mission is to scale and democratize access to the kind of medicine that that we practice. Mm-hmm. And and before we get into that, one other question: There's this I've heard ongoing discussions: BMI, good measure, not good measure. In some cases, it's not appropriate; in others, it is. Where are we with that? That's a great question. Um, BMI is a reasonable measure of 
uh, overweight and obesity, and it's been correlated with an increase in risk. And if you modify BMI with waist circumference, uh, it's, it's quite reasonable. Now, are there better measures? Yes, but they're too cumbersome and expensive. All you need is a weight and a height, and you can calculate BMI. And um, again, you can measure someone's waist circumference. If it's too large, then you can see if someone who has a normal weight uh, is at risk because of the location of their fat. But as time goes on, non-invasive methods are being developed, which will be able to estimate body composition. So the same way what you take your phone and you point it at the wall and it measures how big the wall is. I mean, that to me, is like mind boggling. Things like that are going to, you're going to point it at somebody uh, or you'll point your phone at yourself and it's going to estimate how much uh, fat you have on your arms, your legs, how much you have in your abdomen. And that may be a better measure of risk. But it's going to take a long time to to do that kind of work and figure out whether these measures are the same, better, or worse than BMI. So we should just continue to keep using it because it is a, a relatively good measure of what's going on. As you said, we get that increased risk associated with increased BMI that we can correlate. Right. But if you have, for, for example, there's somebody who is modestly overweight, but they have uh, type 2 diabetes and high triglycerides and heart disease, that person is at an exaggerated risk compared to their weight. And similarly, there are people who are significantly overweight who are at lower risk. And we still don't completely understand all of that. You know, inflammation is a modifier. There are many different modifiers. But you know, BMI is an important factor. I would also add one of the biggest misperceptions, a question that we get from our patients all the time when we're talking about health goals. Um, patients often feel that they need to get to a BMI of 25, and that's the goal no matter where they start. And so that's something that we talk about quite frequently. You know, if someone comes in with a BMI of 28 and, you know, getting to 25, maybe that is a reasonable goal. But if someone starts at a BMI of 40, you know, our goal certainly is, is not in most cases a BMI of 25. So in terms of, you know, success and ultimate goal, we talk more about, you know, percentage of total body weight loss because data shows that, you know, 5%, 10%, you know, there's a dose response um, has been shown to be uh, uh, correlated with um, reduction in health risks and, you know, improvement or resolution of weight-related health complications. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week. Our guests are Wild Cornell Medicine faculty, Dr. Louis Aroni and Dr. Catherine Saunders, co-founders of IntelliHealth, whose tagline notes, we are fighting the global obesity epidemic one patient and one personalized treatment plan at a time. They also host the podcast, Weight Matters. Mm-hmm. And one of the big issues with, with this whole area you know, previously was that this yo-yo, you know, we saw people lose weight, they get it back. And so a lot of people just said, one, it's not possible or give up, give up. It's just not going to work. What, what's different now? Is it the new medications, all the stuff you've learned, Dr. Aroni, that we now can apply to this area that make it something that we can begin to see long-term success for some patients? Uh, Fred, that's exactly right. So what we've learned over the years 
is that by using medical therapies in conjunction with behavioral treatment, we're able to get people to lose more weight and maintain that weight loss. Uh, so if we look at a typical behavioral weight loss program, about a third of the people in the program will lose 5% or more of their body weight, uh, which reduces the risk of diabetes, by the way, by about 50%. So that, that's really worth it. Uh, what we've seen in our program is that if we take people who haven't done well in a behavioral program and we use our dietary intervention, our uh, IntelliHealth Evolve platform, and medical therapies that are currently available, we can get over 60% of them to lose 5% or more of their body weight. And many of these people in the, in the kinds of projects we've done have failed standard programs. It's not like they never tried. They tried it. It didn't work. We all of a sudden get them to, to lose weight by using these kinds of strategies. So I think it emphasizes that there's a physiology behind the difficulty losing weight. And again, that's something that many people don't want to believe until we show it to them and, and until they actually lose the weight. And they're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe this. People are demoralized because they have failed so many times and they're stigmatized. Uh, they're treated badly. And we don't do that in our programs. Like, you know, we're on the patient side against the disease. We, we don't judge people for how things have gone in the past. Um, and we emphasize, I mean, this is our mantra that it's not your fault. It's nobody's fault that they have a weight problem. They either have bad genetics, which is a very small number of people, or they have uh, been exposed to a food environment that has caused their set point to, to get higher. And when we use the kind of strategies that we have available, um, you know, we are very successful. And if, if you look at programs, I mean, we have nine physicians, but there are programs that are built like ours that are covered by insurance, by the, by the way. There are, you know, in Canada, they have programs that have 20 or 30 physicians because everything is covered by Health Canada. You know, that's where we're headed with our programs. If this is moving into the mainstream of healthcare. That, that's what I see happening in the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I think you said something very important, which is one word that, that really makes people hopefully begin to think of this differently. You said it's a, a disease. It's a disease. And, and I think that then changed it. And so now you begin to look for these things. So tell, tell me about IntelliHealth. What is it? What does it do? Sure. So um, IntelliHealth is our company where our mission really is to use technology to scale and democratize access to what we're doing, um, which just hasn't been possible without technology because of the supply-demand mismatch. Um, and so we have a software platform called Evolve that has a patient-facing side and a provider-facing side. On the patient-facing side, it has a lot of educational materials, information, different things work for different people. So courses, articles, meal plans, recipes, whatever appeals to different patients. Um, 
And most importantly for us on the provider side, uh, there's a health assessment. So that health assessment feeds into algorithms that we have developed that generate recommendations that the patient has access to. And then the provider has access to a provider version of those recommendations. Um, and so on the provider side, the provider, you know, depending on their expertise or lack of expertise and, you know, their comfort with obesity medicine has access to plenty of education that explains, you know, what obesity is, why is the disease, how to evaluate obesity, how to treat obesity. Um, a lot of the, the themes that we've been talking about, how to talk to patients with obesity. We have training guides for medical assistants, training guides for dietitians, um, what happens with drug-induced weight gain, bariatric surgical weight regain. Um, and then very importantly, um, in terms of the recommendations that are generated, we have a whole um, clinical decision support tool, and most importantly, a medication decision support tool. Um, because the feedback that we've heard is that even when providers you know, are board certified in obesity medicine, it really takes a lot of time and experience to get comfortable using the medications. So to have a patient fill out the assessment and then see for each patient, consider these medications, use these medications with caution, don't use these medications um, is the best support that we can provide in addition to everything else that we have. Um, one other feature, a couple other features I'll mention and stop me whenever I'm talking too much. Um, remote patient monitoring has been a big thing, especially with the pandemic and it's now covered by insurance. So we have the ability to collect data, um, including weights from a scale, um, blood pressure, heart rate, uh, glucose. Um, we're talking about collaborating with um, other industries to collect different kinds of data. Um, and that can actually be used to really track patients um, in an extremely effective way between visits and provide us with all the data that we need. So, you know, if you think about the fact that our time with patients is so limited, we maybe have a 20 minute appointment. Right now, without the use of this technology, we all spend about half of our time collecting data from the patient. And so if we go into each of those appointments with all of this data, it really makes such better use of our time with the patient to go over that data and really use that time for education, which as we've discussed in this field is extremely important to, you know, just help the patient understand, you know, why this has been so hard, why it's not their fault and, you know, reinforce a lot of the important themes that we talk about and then come up with a treatment plan together. So it basically facilitates, you know, the, the type of practice that we do. And it's, you know, a whole obesity medicine practice kind of in a box, really every aspect of, you know, everything we do, we've, we've thought through very, very carefully. Um, and we've tried to figure out, you know, a way of streamlining it and expanding it with best practices. So this may be a, a dumb question. I'm not sure, but you talked about the medicine selection, et cetera. Have you, are there now evidence-based guidelines for treatment approaches for individuals with obesity? Or are we still working on developing that because it's so new? There are evidence-based guidelines from the endocrine society, uh, which uh, came out uh, several years ago. But whenever you develop these kinds of guidelines, they can never be specific enough, um, nor are they handy enough. In fact, the, the idea to develop in telehealth and evolve specifically is something that um, came to me when I edited uh, the first National Institutes of Health Guide to Obesity Treatment for Physicians. Who would, and this came out back in the early 2000s. 
And what I had was a, a you know book about this thick with diets and all the tools you need. In fact, it had many of the things that we have in, in IntelliHealth right now, but it was in a booklet form, but it was not usable. Uh, you know, if, if you went through it and you memorized it, you know, may, maybe you'd be able to, to do something, but it's not at your fingertips when you're seeing a patient. And trying to get from not knowing anything to the point where you feel confident prescribing a medicine for a patient when you've had no training in this area before, it just does does not work. And and I assume that given the research going on in this area, there will be new meds that are being tested or coming out. So I, I guess it might be a fair chunk of work to try to keep this app updated. Yes, um, and we 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 actually prepare for um, the FDA approval of new meds in advance. So the day you know the next new medication comes out in a couple of months, we'll already have content. We'll have it integrated into our algorithms. Um, so yes, it definitely is a fair amount of work, but um, this is kind of crucial to to what we're doing. Absolutely, keep the quality up on that and keep it relevant for what's happening today. And from a patient perspective. Is this something they go to their physician and get, or can they, do they go to the internet and download it from the app store or, or how does that work? It is an app and it is, um, you know, we've now built an app for the patient side. The provider side is a web-based application. And so there are, we are delivering this care ourselves and we now have a company which will be available to deliver care for those who want it, but we are now uh, going to providers of various types to enable them to uh, utilize uh, the IntelliHealth platform. So for example, at our healthcare system here, here in New York, New York Presbyterian, we've implemented the program by integrating it into our electronic medical record system. So it's widely available now just by doing that. It's widely available to uh, our providers if they want to deliver care. You know, those are the kinds of, of uh, implementations of this that are really going to make a difference because now all of a sudden everybody has the ability to deliver this kind of care. And have you set that up to be integrated with multiple of these? I'm, I'm here at the HIMSS conference with multiple different EMR vendors. Yes, it's 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 not an easy thing to do, um, and one epic is not another epic. But we we um, are are underway with other um, electronic health records as well. Excellent. So I, you know, I'm thinking of all these. Uh, um, you know, say for example, the medical center in Mississippi, where they have a huge issue with obesity. This is something that they could then implement within their medical record system to begin to provide this expertise and this platform that allows for a broader based approach to care for those with obesity. Exactly. And how are you taking that to market? Is it the two of you or you've got a team out there or how does that work? We actually have a company. Uh, we, we have a real company uh, with a real CEO and a COO and a whole uh, staff of programmers and uh, salespeople who are handling this. We have a number of pilot projects that are uh, underway. Uh, you know, we're getting really good results. We're very enthusiastic about it. Um, you know, when, when we implement this as part of our own system, we got hundreds of referrals. So it actually 
in a sense, exacerbated the program, uh, the uh, problem that we're facing where, you know, we're getting too many patients here. We want other people to see the patients on their own. And people were so excited when, when they saw that p- patients could be treated for their obesity, they just kept sending them to us. So more education is going to be necessary to uh, uh, get them on board and doing this on their own. But I, I feel like we have a really uh, important step forward. Yeah, well, I, I really want to thank both of you for joining us. It's fantastic to actually see the work you're doing in this area and what you've created. And I think, you know, hopefully this will continue to expand out. So thank you, Dr. Aroni and Dr. Saunders for joining us. Thanks so much, Fred. Thank you so much, Fred, for having us. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Wild Cornell Medicine faculty, Dr. Louis Aroni and Dr. Catherine Saunders, co-founders of IntelliHealth and hosts of the podcast Weight Matters for their time and insights today. Do follow their work on Twitter via at LJ Aroni, that's L-J-A-R-O-N-N-E, and on the web via www.wildcornell.org forward slash comprehensive dash weight dash control dash center or at IntelliHealth via www.intellihealth.co. And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice, share with your colleagues, and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.